Coming up, a lot of missionaries serve in contexts where Roman Catholicism is present, but are evangelical missionaries equipped to know why they're not Roman Catholic? And are there any connections between Marianism and folk religions? There's a huge tradition in, in one place in Pakistan where there's a Marian shrine and like upwards near a million pilgrims go there every year from Sikhs to Muslims to Hindus to Catholics to you know plead with Mary for miracles. As you can imagine, much of the desperation in many of those places, there are millions strong are going there to plead for miracles and whatnot. Dr. James Fryer, author and missiologist, opens a can of worms on today's show. Welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. I'm Alex Kochman, Director of Advancement and Communications with ABWE. Joined again in the saddle here with Scott W. Dunford, coming from the West Coast, pastor of Redeemer Church in Fremont, California, and helps out a lot with ABWE. Last time we spoke, Scott, uh, you're on the tail end of your, uh, your battle with COVID. How are you feeling today, my friend? I'm doing good. And uh, today's my first day out of isolation, so uh, Yay. Um, I'm ready to go back into isolation. I'm so tired, <laughs> but uh, but it's uh, I, I feel really blessed um, and um, feeling like I'm getting better every day. So thanks for asking. For some reason, and I'm sorry for half of the audience that's just not going to follow me with this, but when you said I'm really blessed, all I could see was Michael Scott hitting Meredith Palmer with her car, with his car. That's that's all I could see when you started talking about how blessed you were. That's that's what's going through my mind. <laughs> anyway, we'll just leave that. And uh, speaking of mishaps, uh, our guest today, this is our second attempt to record. So, you know, sometimes technology gets in the way, but that just gives us more time. You know, it's like a it's like a well-aged, you know, wine, right? It is the longer that we work on it, the better these podcast episodes become. And and I'm excited oh, about yeah. the uh, topic and the guests we're talking to today. But we're going to make sure that we don't do a third interview on the same exact topic. So hopefully with everything holds today well. Amen. I'm excited to introduce my friend James Fryer. James and I met uh, doing doctoral studies at Midwestern, and uh, he went on and finished his Ph.D. in biblical missiology from Midwestern. He's also the author of Battle Cry, uh, a book on biblical spiritual warfare. He's a prison chaplain currently in Morgantown, West Virginia, and has served for many years in the mission field, as well as serving in his local church on his missions committee. And so it's really great to have you, James, and uh, welcome to our show. And we're going to start right off with the topic of your research, and that is this idea of Mariolatry or uh, Marian theology. What what it what is Mariolatry for once, uh, for one, and and why is that different, or how is it different from uh, the veneration of Mary? We're you know we're obviously in the Christmas into the Christmas season or Advent. A lot of uh, you know emphasis will be put on on Mary, yeah. and uh, some of our songs will even talk about Mary. What's the difference between between honoring her in a proper way and and giving her undue honor? Sure. It's great to be here. I think in one sense, there's a spectrum that we have, uh, you know, all types of veneration of Mary in one sense are some type of um, Mariolatry, if it involves prayer to Mary, if it involves uh, almost a view of Mary as almost the fourth member of the Trinity or something like that. So that most folk religious, uh, I guess we could say that even the traditional Roman Catholic views of Mary are Mariolatry, definitely in, in, in one sense. And then when we talk about like synchronistic folk religious manifestations in different cultures as they've kind of morphed over time or, you know, synchronized with different cultures and different religions and whatnot, that's also one view of 
folk religion in Mary, Mariolatry. Mm. So how prevalent is it? Are are we talking about um, something that exists within pockets of Roman Catholicism? Would we describe all of Roman Catholicism that way? Is it isolated to certain regions of the world? Uh, it, it, my my family background, okay, my father, um, that whole side, there, there are a lot of Italians, um, they were they were all Roman Catholics, okay, and and so I, I come from that, you know. But but even hearing the word Mariolatry, right, which you know it it's it rhymes with idolatry, you know, is is sort of what's being gotten at with that. Help us understand where is I'm this? I'm guessing focus? no Catholic would like that term, right? <laughs> it's really not meant to be in some type of some way um, antagonistic. Not meant to be that way at all. You know, certainly we served as missionaries in Nicaragua, which at the time was depending on who you talk to, seventy to eighty percent Catholic. And we certainly we love the people. We saw many of the people re- respecting God's word, and we tried to just befriend them and reach out to them with the gospel. But kind of doctrinally, looking at like the history and the development of Roman Catholicism and other groups that adhere to forms of Marian invocation, Marian worship, Marian veneration. In the big picture, uh, globally, like over 1.3 billion Catholics, another 300,000 Orthodox Marian adherents, some sort of Marian veneration, Marian belief that Mary is to be prayed to and invoked, um, as well as for many Anglicans, other types of groups like more folk religious uh, syncretism of from offshoots from Catholicism, like Santeria or something like that. But even other groups that have taken on some form of veneration of Mary, like in Islam, which is actually occurs in different places of the world. So there, there is a traditional Marian veneration, but even that is so deeply steep and far from biblical Christianity that it is not wrong in saying it is a form of, really, it's a form of worship of Mary more than anything. In my research, I still just say real quick, I, I got to dive deep into the Vatican archives that are available free online. You know, it's been many, many many hours of studying those and almost every you find the Holy Grail. Yeah. Oh, online. Okay. Almost every papal encyclical sent out to, from the Vatican to every country of the earth from the Vatican, uh, almost every single one, every one that I've seen, it closed with a big paragraph about Mary and dedicating themselves to Mary and submitting the world to Mary and all these kind of things. And so, and even like the, the Pope today, when he leaves and comes back to the Vatican, he stands before a picture of Mary and, you know, invokes her and commits himself to her and, you know, as he comes in, in and out of the Vatican. So this it is deeply steeped in a, a distorted picture of who the historical biblical Mary is. Mm. So where did this come from? Is this something that was, because you, know, you do see it early in early church writings. I mean, when I say early, you know, in the first 500 years, uh, you see, you see, you know, references to prayers to Mary and things like this. Where did this come from? Is this a purely syncretistic thing that came from within paganism or did it have a a different kind of theological emergence? Where did this come from? I think that we see, you know, since we see traces of it, even back into the patristic writers, the early patristic writers, where there there was certainly a respect and reverence for Mary as a person. You can, you can well imagine Mary having a lot of clout and, and certainly being a godly woman amongst the early church, uh, very well respected. The early writings we see some theologizing things about Mary. There's I saw in a couple early church 
the illustration of Mary being the new Eve, and somehow since like as Eve led humanity into sin, Mary is giving birth to new humanity and whatnot. So the, you see illustrations like that, metaphors about Mary. You see a, a early hymn to Mary, and then we I think we see a slow evolution, like a trajectory of the Marian doctrines, going back to the. I think the Council of Constantinople 381, I believe, is, you know, the Theotokos, which the Roman Catholics took several of the Marian doctrines come from a, a distorted view of the historical Mary. But the Theotokos was meant to show that Christ is God. Christ is deity. She's the mother of Christ deity versus the Nestorian view that, of Christotokos, which the Arians could use um, that didn't reference the deity of Christ. So the Catholics kind of hijacked that and, and they took the Theotokos mm -hmm. into a different sense from what it was meant in the early church council. Right, right. Mother of God. But then that became much more than just what was meant by that, touching his humanity. Um, one of the reasons that we're talking about this on the Missions podcast is because religions mix, don't they, over time. And a phenomenon that we see when we look out on the globe and on nations is folk religion, um, which is, is simply a, a blanket term referring to all sorts of religious traditions that um, arise and you, you find them in all sorts of places, you know, occurring naturally. And, and they often have a lot in common. There's sort of this worldview of appeasing spirits. And looking back into the history of some things, uh, even like voodoo and, and as that moved from West Africa into the Indies, uh, you see syncretizing there, for instance, between the Roman Catholic system of venerating saints. And we should be fair to our Catholic friends in that they want to distinguish between, between Latria, which is worship directed only to God, and, and Dulia or, or Hyperdulia, which is service or veneration of Mary or of saints. And, and so they would want to make that distinction. We as Protestants would, would see that as an invalid distinction, which is why we're using words like Marial Latrie. And, and you see that that term Latrie is, is related to uh, Latria worship, right? It, it's a, a word associated with worship. But as we see kind of religions mix, you know, it wasn't a far cry in the Indies um, as, as, as voodoo came from West Africa to mix this system of ancestral spirits and spirits in nature with this system of saints that that must be appealed to for different parts of life at least in the way that roman catholicism came to be understood at a folk level in that context and so one interesting part of your research james is the intersection between folk religion and and other parts of roman catholicism including marian dogma and and so how do you see those things blending together and and uh, w without being so excessively offensive, how, how can we see maybe there is a relation there between how those things developed? Yeah, I think that a lot of times there there isn't a, a great discernment as as a as a religion comes into a culture. There's been some like one book that I found in my research that actually felt very extensive study done in Mexico uh, by you know anthropologists and whatnot. They they saw as the early Catholics came in and they they didn't quite finish the work and you know of their presenting in some areas some corners where definitely blended and took on a shape of tribal religions in Nicaragua we saw some of those types of things 
there there was definitely um, a strong movement as people brought, for example, in the Counter-Reformation movement, the Catholic Church sent emissaries, kind of ambassador monks globally, uh, carrying statues in, of Mary and whatnot. So those were brought into all different cultures, maybe more so than we see today, but definitely uh, brought many inroads into those cultures where those those cultures took on you know superstitions and taboos about Mary communicating to them the powers of the statues and the different things. So um, what other connections are you seeing? I know you mentioned earlier uh, the connection between um, Islam and and Christianity. Uh, can you can you give us a little bit more understanding of that? Yeah, in one sense, we see a very much a pluralistic agenda from Rome, from the Vatican today. In 2019, Pope Francis met with one of the global Islamic leaders in Egypt and formed a World Alliance uh, papal encyclical, a document from Rome, basically uniting Islam and Rome for global peace. So that you have that kind of official Catholic agenda and whatnot. And then on the other hand, you have kind of folk representations, for example, where I saw the, there's a huge tradition in, in one place in Pakistan where there's a Marian shrine and like upwards near a million pilgrims go there every year from Sikhs to Muslims to Hindus to Catholics to you know, plead with Mary for miracles. As you can imagine, much of the desperation in many of those places, there yeah. are millions strong are going there for to plead for miracles and whatnot. We did see as well one example from uh, Ephesus, from the historical city of Ephesus, where today there's uh, Mary's house and uh, both Catholics and um, Muslims pilgrimage to Mary's house where Mary's bedroom apparently now is the Quran room. So there's two tracks you can go to. Catholics can go to one or the Muslims can go to one and they can go there and uh, venerate Mary, invoke themselves to Mary and whatnot. And, and part of the logic behind it is, you know, you, you think about how these ideas develop over time. And, you know, a, a, a king of kings and lord of lords like Jesus, well, boy, that that's intimidating approaching him, right? In spite of what scripture says about Jesus being our sole mediator and and us being able to a, appeal to him and, and go to the throne of grace uh, to, to find mercy in, in, in time of need, right? Um, but, but the idea of, well, but you can usually leverage someone's mother. <laughs> you can usually get through to them mm-hmm. if you go to their mom, right? And um, uh, that that being the idea, you know, it, it's it's easy to see how the idea of venerating Mary, um, idolizing Mary, could develop along similar lines to a lot of other folk um, religious traditions that that you see throughout the world, where where various figures are kind of lifted up into this pantheon over time and and it becomes very superstitious it's it's very much about how can my physical life be blessed and who are the figures that i need to have on my side in order for my life to have some level mm-hmm. of stability and and comfort and provision my question for you james is how does seeing marianism through the lens of what we know happens in folk religious contexts on the mission field. Uh, we, we did an episode with Robin Hathaway on that topic, right, about what folk religion is and does in an Islamic context. How does seeing Marianism through that lens help us minister to our Roman Catholic friends and neighbors? 
Yeah, well, certainly there's a familial connection there. Many cultures certainly esteem motherhood and whatnot. So I think that going to maybe the next level, there there's a, a distorted view of devoting themselves to Mary. But I think in that, there's certainly um, a picture of the desperation and the hunger just for something to be nurtured and loved. And so I think that there's certainly, um, and, and of course, looking for help in different areas as many looking for miracles, looking for uh, desperately for something in the divine to help them. I think that maybe there's a, a bridge there, you know, as this the kind of apologetic, there's a bridge to connecting with their, their worldview, how they're seeing life, that uh, Mary is the person who can provide these things for them in her mothering way. Um, maybe we can, you know, bring them to the scriptures through, through that. Just going back to this discussion of of folk religion, I think there's one example that stands out to me that I saw throughout the Middle East and really all even into Central Asia is this idea where maybe you guys have seen the Hamsa or it's the hand of Fatima or sometimes called the hand of Mary or the hand of Miriam. And there's this amulet that a lot of women wear around their necks, which is a hand. And it's got an eye oftentimes in the middle. And it's really interesting because it's it came originally from Phoenicia. It was a pagan symbol that got co-opted by the Jews and then slowly became co-opted by the Muslims. That's why it's normally called the hand of Fatima. And it, if you read you know, some things, it talks about the five pillars of Islam are represented each finger. And then it was later on co-opted by Christianity as the hand of Mary. And it kind of goes back to this idea that you know, these religions often just take on these folk ideas in the ways of like Alex, you were saying, manipulating God, getting God to do what you want to do, want, want him to do. And whether that mm. is a pagan God or Allah or the Christian Trinity, you know, anytime there is an attempt to extra biblically manipulate and and get God to give you favors based on some action you do. We have the temptation there for syncretism and for the manipulation of true and right religion, as we see in the, in the word of God. Yeah. And so you, you do see this natural tendency within man to just kind of take everything that God gives us and break it down into how can I manipulate and get God to do what I want him to do. I just wanted to throw that in there because I think it's interesting that you see that overflow of and co-opting of symbols um, here with four different, totally different religions. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alex. No, I mean, that's interesting. That's a theme that we've returned to on the show multiple times. So the, the, the covenant of works is is kind of everyone's default wiring. So whether your God is the God of Scripture or it's the, the spirits that you believe to be around you or, or it's a, a figure, a, a legitimate Christian figure that takes on a, a place of undue importance um, we're, we're wired because of the fall or, or because of Adam's failure, um, to want to appease rather than receive the grace that's only available in Christ. And so James, you, you mentioned some bridges, right? How the, how the appeal to Mary represents a longing in the heart. So where do you go next? How do you show a Roman Catholic that Christ is enough, that he's the sole mediator? I think again and again, if we can get folks to open the scriptures, it's it's a great starting place. Just putting the scriptures before them, reading the scriptures. But you know, with that, um, I think you know a lot of times because there is a respect for the scriptures, and I would say still in, in many places, maybe more so than in, in the United States, just in general. 
because they believe it. Many will see it as a divine book. So I think in that, turning to passages about Christ, just a good old-fashioned Bible study or the chronological evangelism approach, I think those are very great ways uh, or expository. The study of a book is, is very good because we're getting them into the Word of God. Nowadays, I think a lot of people are, that would feel welcomed to a Bible study or something. Of course, not everyone is there. I was going to say with that is the other aspect of approaching the idea that there's these spiritist concepts and divination concepts that we see forbidden in the Old Testament. We see a lot of that in this person of Mary trying to help a person maybe coming out of Catholicism who still has some, for lack of a better word, baggage and veneration of Mary and whatnot. The idea that a spirit called Mary is giving ongoing revelation, appearing here and there, and even speaking false doctrine. So then what is that? When you have a, someone like a spirit calling herself Mary that is speaking false doctrine, calling herself the Immaculate Conception, and speaking authoritatively like, like ongoing revelation, what do we have there? And we, so there's that aspect of mm. we can't be nostalgic about it. There's something very, it's demonic, and we have to be at some point clear in showing that this is not just somehow we're disrespecting Mary. Mm. This is not Mary. You know, this is something that we see otherly mm. f- from Scripture. That's a really interesting point, James, because I think we focus sometimes in this conversation, if we ever get to it at all, many evangelicals don't even want to think deeply about why we're not Roman Catholic, but we focus the conversation maybe narrowly on soteriological issues, issues of salvation. Mm-hmm. Well, Christ Christ is the one who died, mm-hmm. and, and certainly that's where we want to fight the battle. It, you you raise an interesting point, though. Our our Roman Catholic friends also believe uh, in in angels and demons, and we have the same Old Testament that strictly forbids necromancy, communication with the dead. And so the question becomes: What changed in the New Covenant that made communication with the dead okay? And if we both believe that there are uh, dark uh, spiritual beings as well as ones that are uh, on on the Lord's side. What makes them incapable of of imitating saints of old? I think that's uh, a, a really thought provoking question, maybe to to raise in a in a loving way with a Roman Catholic that we want to win. And and certainly we're not seeking to broad brush Roman Catholics and and those that are Roman Catholic of conviction with uh, with saying like, well, it's it's no different than than folk religion that ar- arises um, in a completely unreached place. I think we have to distinguish you know, between completely unreached and pagan religions and, and Christian forms of religion that we would say those scripturally have, have deviated um, from biblical orthodoxy. Um, and yet you still see those same patterns that you've been bringing up throughout our conversation, James, which is that that folk religious mindset of, of who do I have to appeal to and appease in order to have uh, my life go the way that, that I want it to go, that that's deeply embedded in all of us. Um, some believers and unbelievers, and it manifests in these various ways, and it manifests in syncretism. So, James, kind of rounding things out, what advice? You know, you've you've been a missionary, and and you can share some of those credentials if you like. But what advice would you give to new missionaries working in an area where there may already be a lot of folk practices uh, embedded in the religious practice, whether they're in a in a in a Christianized area or or, or context? Or, or a completely unreached context? Well, certainly go and make your life amongst the people. Certainly love them. Certainly pray with them and walk along with them. But along with that, I think, is stay true to Scripture. 
I think sometimes missionaries also can be given prey to the sentimentalism of, of the people that they're trying to win, but then maybe compromise in some areas. I think that there's no room for like a nostalgia that would almost like an ecumenical type of perspective that would join hands. And that, that's one of the huge concerns that I'm seeing today. If I can share one, one more illustration that why I feel it's so important is that like, for example, we, we have a more conservative evangelical missiological society and whatnot. The American Missiological Society, as you know, is wildly liberal, and they, they're identified with many different liberal groups. And this is not just to criticize or whatever, but just to say, for example, in 2019, the American Missiological Society had their national meeting at St. Mary's University on the campus of Notre Dame. So there you had um, priests and monks speaking with professors from the Evangelical Covenant Church, PCUSA, and uh, Fuller and other places. So as they've identified publicly together, so with the theme of the conference was re-imaging missions. This is one of my so what points in my dissertation, the mm -hmm. re-imaging missions. So now you have groups wildly ecumenical or aligning with Rome publicly in a national missions conference and saying that they are re-imaging missions to align with Rome going out to the world, you know, like the Protestant Reformation never happened. And not to mention other liberal teachings whatnot that they hold to. I just want to make a comment, you know, we're heading into the Christmas season and I know kind of growing up, I mean, I grew up in a very Catholic part of the country, you know, St. Mary's was the big church in my town growing up. And um, there was a, a real reticence, you know, amongst Baptists to kind of even talk about Mary. And I've learned to appreciate her as we would appreciate, I think, all of the great uh, saints of time past that she was a woman who really feared the Lord. Uh, she was a woman who was eagerly waiting for her Savior, as we see even in her prayer mm -hmm. uh, of praise to the Lord. And I think at Christmas time, it's okay to say, hey, we're grateful that God gave Jesus a human mother and that she was a human mother that raised him in the truth and that loved God. And that and we can see that, appreciate that, but also realizing that there is this tendency in our in our human life to identify in ways that we should not be identifying and to connect with things that, that our human nature says, hey, this is an easier way to God, but that God doesn't give us. And the way we're supposed to come to God is through Jesus Christ. He is our only high priest and he is the one that we are supposed to direct our praise and thanks to. And so I think it's important at this Christmas time, we don't freak out about Mary and uh, ignore her, but also make sure that we don't put her on accidentally even on the same level as as jesus christ so alex do you want to wrap us up i think that's an important thing to say scott we can't be purely reactionary in any of this and protestants and i'm a proud protestant we're, we're often guilty of being purely reactionary but yeah god has given us these saints for our edification um, for our example, and when I say saints, I mean all of us because we're all holy ones through uh, through the virtue of, of what Christ has done um, for all of his people. Um, and, and as we lovingly challenge our, our Roman Catholic friends, we want to point them to Christ as the sole mediator, not so that they would uh, ignore the people of God, but so that the people of God, that they would, they would love them in a right way that's not a disordered affection, but that, that Christ would operate that sole position. You don't, you don't have to appeal to his mother. Christ is a merciful and faithful high priest. I was just reading in Isaiah this morning, you know, his, uh, you hear the song, you know, before the throne of God above, right? My name is written on his hands. I mean, that, that comes from what Yahweh says in Isaiah. 
uh, that that Israel and his people, that their names are written on his hands. So here Jesus is this high priest standing with his arms open wide, ready to receive his people who come to him. And as much love and tender and compassion as a mother has, as you would stereotypically think of a mother uh, as having, uh, nurturing, well, Christ is, is gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your souls if you come to him. And it's a beautiful thing. So, James, it is an interesting topic. You've written some deep academic stuff on it. It's worth engaging with. How can people get a hold of you? How can they learn more about your ministry or read what you've written? Well, I hope to get it in print in some form, hopefully in the next year or so. We're members at Crossroads Church in Morgantown, West Virginia. I don't know, my, my email is james.r.friar1 at gmail.com. I'm certainly welcome to engage in any conversations or someone looking for uh, resources or whatnot. Well, you won't be a very popular man because you've you've challenged, you know, evangelicals and Catholics together and the ecumenical movement. And so yeah, you, you might you might never have natu- national uh, celebrity there, James, but that's okay. We want to <laughs> stay faithful to the Word of God. So, James, thank you for joining us today. And thank you all for joining us today as well. We're delighted to give you the Missions Podcast. And to get more of it, you can go to missionspodcast.com. Remember to share, subscribe, leave us a positive review and a five-star rating that helps the algorithm show favor and smile on our faces so that life goes the way that we want it to go and we can appease the algorithm of course Uh, but also remember that the missions podcast is a ministry of abwe international and you can support that at missionspodcast.com slash support until next time thank you for listening